So we uh, began a series last week entitled, Who's Your One? Where what we, what we want to go through over the next several weeks together is we want to be able to take some time to talk about what it looks like to do really this life of following Jesus in a natural way. Uh, I know that growing up that I had all kinds of, we would have trainings and stuff like that. There would be, you know, names that I thought needed to, well, we won't even get into those things because uh, I want to respect those people who put those things together. But, but at the same time, what it did was it gave you a lot of information. But it really, I, I just always felt that I wasn't challenged to live it out naturally. You know, and so that's what we want to do over the next several weeks. What we, what we discussed last Sunday was we said, listen, it's not just about the method. Because we said that you and I as followers of Christ are the method of sharing the gospel. There, there are many other ways. There's other different mediums. But in, in a one-to-one personal relationship with someone, we are the method. So it's not just about the method. It's about passion. In, in other words, it's saying, I have such a great love, not only for God, but for the people that God has put into my life. And how do I live out my faith, share the gospel in such a natural, flowing way? Paul says in Romans 1.16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Paul says he's not afraid and not ashamed to share the truth of God. Why? Because he says it's God's power in him that allows him to do what he does. Paul doesn't put the, the emphasis on himself. And what we learned last week was we want to learn how to multiply ourselves, and we want to learn to count the cost. For some of us, there is a greater cost that we must look into when it comes to following Christ. Not only that, but at the same time, that one individual in your life, that person who is in your circle of influence, there may be a cost to that as well. And so today as we we look at this next uh, passage of scripture here in our series, Who's Your One? I thought about watching and doing. Have you ever been to a concert? You ever been to a sporting event? Have you been to a play? Something that you spectate in, something that you watch. So it's one thing to watch it. I remember uh, going to Nashville for the first time with my wife, and we, we went on a tour behind the scenes of the Grand Old Opry. That was awesome. And not only was it awesome, but they let us stand on the stage that the artist performed. And what had happened was, uh, after we did the whole tour, then we stayed and watched the Grand Ole Opry. The Grand Ole Opry is actually a radio program, but, but what was neat was they had moved our tour from after the show to before the show because they never announced who's coming until the day of. And so it was Carrie Underwood and Trace Atkins. And so it was like, if you're not, if you're not into country, like they're some pretty big names. And so here's what I'm trying to get at. It was one thing to stand on the stage and look out at an empty auditorium. But it was another thing, you know, if I was the artist up there and doing the music. Are you with me? So there's a big difference between spectating something and participating in something. And that's what we really want to look at because what we want to be challenged with today is what does it look like to really participate in the lives of the people who are around you? specifically your one. And last week we talked about who is that one person that you know, that we've talked about at 1010 before, that is disconnected from God, but who is close to you. 
And so what we're going to look at here in Luke chapter 5 is our message is simply titled, Let Down to Rise Up. Let Down to Rise Up. Here's what I want to say. I want us to understand that people are not projects. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is let's say that you begin to just live out your faith naturally in front of someone. They come to faith in Christ. You're like, okay, I'm done. No more relationship. That's it. I did what I had to do. And so that's what's important, naturally having relationships with people, not moving on from people because what Jesus wants to do in their lives, he wants to use you. And, it, and, and just because someone comes to faith in Christ, they still need to learn how to live this faith life. That's why here at 1010, we want to have discipleship. It's not just about getting, it, getting the job done, but it's, it's journeying with people throughout life. So let's turn together in Luke chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 17 through 26 today. And as you're turning there, really what we want to look at today is we're going to see a group of friends who had such a care for a friend who was in need that they, they were desperate enough to do some extreme things to get this individual to Jesus. But the second part of the story that we see is that there's going to be a miracle that happens. But that miracle is only secondary to what? To the authority of Jesus in this text. And so that's what we're going to look at today. So beginning at verse 17, let's look together. It says, one day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men carried a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Now, what we're seeing here is that Jesus is teaching. Jesus is uh, possibly, some Bible scholars believe, he was at the disciple Peter's house. And we see two types of religious uh, uh, groups here. We see the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious Jewish party, political party, if you want to call it. They were the legalist of the Jewish system, the guardians of Israel's belief system, and we see the teachers of the law. They were like the religious watchdogs of that day and time. They were like the religious lawyers. And so these men are coming to even hear Jesus teach, not so that they can learn from him to follow him, but they really, really were looking to make a mockery of who Jesus was. So what we see is that in the text it says, and the power of God was with Jesus. This is important because what was happening here is that God's spirit was on Jesus and in Jesus. This would have been the same as a prophet in the days of the Old Testament of one who spoke for God and one did miracles for God, i.e. healing. We see that Jesus was one who did a healing of a man with leprosy in Luke chapter 5 earlier in the text. But here's what we need to understand here as well before we get to the, to the meat of the story. Is that this was God working in and through Jesus. Okay? Now, what we need to understand is that it doesn't mean that Jesus was not divine. Okay? What we need to understand is that Jesus was 100% human and 100% divine. 100% man, 100% God. That make sense? But here's what we need to really understand is that Jesus, he, he, he counted the cost, for lack of better terms, 
and gave up his right of divinity. You see, are you with me? It doesn't mean he didn't have it. It just said that he, he counted the cost and submitted to his heavenly father. And so as we talked last Sunday, Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit came down. God said, this is the son in whom I love. And so for you and I, it's the same. When we profess faith in Christ, God is with us and he lives in us. It is his power that does the work. But yet Jesus set his divinity aside at the incarnation when he was born. So, so when, we, when we say we can't relate to Jesus, Jesus was human. But yet it was the power of God who was in him and with him. So that's important for us to understand because that can get mixed up sometimes. But we see also that the house that, that Jesus was teaching in was crowded. I mean, it's almost like a sold-out show, right? <laughs> and so you're trying to get in. And, and it says that these guys went up on the roof, tore open the roof, and lowered his, their friend down. Now, in that day and time, the roofs were a little bit different. They were more flat because it got hot during the day. So at night, they would go up on the roof and cool off because the house, in your own home, right? If it's hot during the day and you have your windows open, it's still warm at night, isn't it? And so they went up, up, upstairs because once the sun went away, they cooled off. And so typically it was like mud and straw. So they were able to pull, possibly even tiles, just pull them off and lay it, lower them down. Now, if I'm the owner of the home, that may be a different story. Wait a minute, time out here. Like, what are you doing? Because think about this. These friends who lowered this man in had a belief that Jesus could do something. Imagine with me for a moment, before they even got to the house, they're saying, hey man, uh, Jesus is in town and we wanna take you to him. Because remember, if you, were, if you were, had any type of illness or you couldn't work for yourself, you always had to beg. You had to beg for food, you had to beg for money. And so they're saying, hey, this guy Jesus is here. We can take you to him. What a, what a fascinating thing. Because what lengths did these friends go to? Because if somebody starts tearing my roof apart, I'm calling 1-800-LAWYER, if you know what I'm saying, right? But they once again believed that Jesus could do something incredible. Because in, the, in, in some Eastern societies, medicine and religion, they had close ties. Because they believed that healing could include a resolution of spiritual or a social disorder. It was also believed in that day and time that if you were suffering i.e. this man who was paralyzed, it was because of his sin, his or her sin. So you're paralyzed because you've been sinning against God. And yet, that wasn't true. It was far from the truth. So whatever was going on, probably the individuals watching this whole scene unfold thinking he's a sinner. Not recognizing that this man was in need of a savior. It was just that he was a sinner, and that's why he was paralyzed. But in verse 20, let's look at verse 20 again. This verse I really love because it says, when Jesus saw their faith, their faith, the friend's faith, it says, friend, your sins are forgiven. So Jesus sees the faith of the friends, but yet tells the man on the mat he's forgiven. It was the faith of the friends that brought Jesus to a place to say your sins are forgiven. Now, if we keep it in the context of that thinking in the Eastern world, guess what? They're probably thinking, he's not a sinner. He, well, if he is a sinner, he's been forgiven. So there was something going on here because there had to have been 
faith on the man's part too. Because if his friends before that moment happened, they're going, hey man, Jesus is in town. And he may have said, take me there. Because I heard he healed a guy with leprosy. And if he can heal a guy with leprosy, I know he can heal me. Jesus was dealing with the matter of the heart first. If you've been in church long enough, there's a term that says, Jesus will hit the physical to get to the spiritual. But yet what we see here is Jesus hit the spiritual first before he got to the physical. That's what I love about God. God doesn't work on our terms. You you know that, right? Because the one that you have in your life, the one that I have in my life that I've been praying for this last week, it may take time. And I don't want you to feel pressured that you're thinking, oh my goodness, it's not done in this series. It may be next year that that individual may have a moment where they say, I need a savior. So just just understand that this is a heart condition first. In your notes, listen, I wanna wanna say this. Faith in Jesus affects others. Faith in Jesus affects others. Your and my faith affect people around us for better or for worse, whatever that may look like. And God responds to the faith of others, whether it begins with prayer, praying for that individual, and introducing them to the person of Jesus. Here's what we can't do as followers of Christ. We cannot make people Christians. We just can't do that. But through our words, through our actions, through our love, we give the people the opportunity to see Jesus. You're not Jesus, and I'm not Jesus. Your last name's not Christ. And so that's important. Listen to what 2 Corinthians 2.15 says. It says, For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. That's what we are. We're not Jesus and we're not God. So the question for you and I today is, who was willing to introduce you to Christ? For me, it was my youth pastor, Jim Watson. Because I grew up in church. I couldn't stand going. But there was something about Jim that was amazing. There was just something about him that Jesus was natural. It was, not only was Jesus natural, but he loved to let, see teenagers come to know Christ and to live him out. I remember when Jim uh, was, was called to go to another church. I had already been at a youth group, and I was the kid who was always giving my youth pastor problems. True story. And... Uh, I remember one time where me and some buddies were like, yeah, we don't want to youth, go to youth group tonight. So we went to the local uh, deli, like right around the corner. And as we come back, like Jim was just, he would always smile and guys, guys, guys. I got in big trouble that night. Anyway, my point is, is that he was the one who was natural about Jesus. He's the one who introduced me to Christ. And if you think about that person who introduced you to Jesus, think about the people in your life that hopefully the person of Jesus is attractive to those around you. So our faith affects others. Let's continue, verse 21. It says, the Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? I don't know, I felt like an English accent. Blasphemy, who is this fellow? Anyway, they wouldn't have been speaking in that dialect. So let's keep moving on. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? 
But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. You see, these religious leaders, these Pharisees, they were there because Jesus' following was beginning to gain traction. And so they wanted to know, who is this guy who is, is, is attractive to these people and not to us? These leaders were threatened. Honestly, they felt threatened by Jesus. And they were wondering, who is this man? And blasphemy in this text is that no one could say that they were God. If you said that you were God, it really led to death. There was no one but God but God. And if you said you were God, we don't do that. That's blasphemy. Or even the fact that Jesus could forgive sins, only God could forgive sins. But yet, let's think about this for a second. The religious leaders were right. Only God could forgive sins. What they didn't understand is that Jesus was God. But what we're seeing here is that the forgiveness of sins was ushering in the messianic age. That's what it was doing. Jesus was now on the scene. We see this uh, proclaimed in Joel chapter 2, verse 32 in the Old Testament. It says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 10. But it says, for on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, they will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, even among the survivor whom the Lord calls. So even in Old Testament times, the Old Covenant, it was already projecting that there was going to be a Savior. And anyone who calls on his name will be saved. But we don't see this paralyzed man call out to him because it's the work of God in our hearts and lives that does the saving and does the changing. But yet what Jesus does is he begins to interact with these religious leaders. He knew what they were thinking. Could you imagine if people in your life knew what you were thinking? I would be in trouble. I don't know about you, but I would be in trouble. And he even asked them this. What does he ask? Why are you thinking these things in your heart? An internal response was going on with these men. We know the law. We know everything about God. And who is this guy to say forgiveness of sin? But yet I love Jesus. See, Jesus wasn't an arrogant person. I believe in humility. He asked them, all right, guys, since you know it all, since you know about God, healing or salvation? Which is it? Yeah, that's probably what was going on right there, quiet. Which one? Which one's, which one's better? So you want me to heal him? Or do you want salvation for him? Fascinating. I don't know about you, but that's just fascinating because here's the thing. Either way, God's power was going to work in both of those things. Either way. But yet Jesus doesn't stop doing what he was going to do because of what they thought. And let me encourage you today that people are going to think a lot of things about you. <laughs> people are going to say things but that's okay. What is God asking you to do? Because these men had faith that Jesus was, could do something miraculous. It doesn't say they were followers of Jesus. It doesn't say that they, they had it all together. It just said, we know what this man can do. He tells the man to get up. Spiritual, your sins are forgiven. Get up off that mat. You're physically healed. What a powerful work of God. 
In your notes, what we see is that Jesus knows and acts. That's what he does. Jesus knows, he knew their hearts, and he acts. That's what Jesus does with us. Jesus knows our hearts. Jesus acts according to his will and purposes in our lives. Why? Because it's an act of grace, because he has our best interest at heart. If, if you share the good news of Jesus Christ with people in your life in such a natural way, they will not be rejecting you. They will be rejecting the God who can save. Hopefully that takes the pressure off. Because I just told you about Nashville. That's what, that was exciting. If you can ever get to Nashville, country aside, it's awesome. It is a great place to go. There's all kinds of things to do. There's all kinds of great places to eat. You can have hot chicken. You can go to the pharmacy. That's actually a restaurant. They have the most amazing burgers. The first time I ever, ever ate a fried egg on a hamburger. Just saying. Just throwing that out there. Because they sell hamburgers and bratwurst. They're called the worst burger joint in Nashville. See, I can share that with you naturally, can I? But yet sometimes I get like all weird, like when I'm working and I'm saying, so like uh, church, you ever go? But I have to know it's not me that they're saying no to. We're the messengers, remember? The messenger that would go share the good news about the victory on the battlefield. But here's the thing, God not only knew our hearts, but because he knew our hearts, he acted by sending his son to die for the sin of the world. Luke 19.10 says this, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. And maybe you've had this experience where someone goes, what am I lost from? You're lost from a personal, eternal relationship with Jesus Christ and his father. And God acted on that. And when we come to know Jesus, we can be that person to that one who says, I have a story to tell you. Remember, upper story is redemptive history. Lower story is our part in redemptive history. Remember, we're not the hero. We don't get the accolades. We're just a part of what God is already doing. And sometimes God will use the physical to reach the spiritual and vice versa. But do you believe that is God's work in that person's heart? not you're trying to conjure up something to see them change. That's what we need to understand because that's all those guys did. His friends, all they did was say, there's a man who can heal and we're gonna introduce you to him. Now, it was an extreme way, you know, so if, I'm, if, if it was Peter's house, like, you guys gonna fix that? Or was it unbelievable what you went to to see your friend meet Jesus? You know, this, this is a question that, that I ponder sometimes, and sometimes I have a hard time with, but what do you believe Jesus can't do? What do you believe Jesus can't do? When it comes to your one, what do you believe he can't do? Because in our humanness, we, we, will, we will think of things that he can't do, but impossible is not in his vocabulary. But it's his will and his way. We have to submit to that. But it's living with confidence that Jesus can do the miraculous. And I've heard stories from you all of Jesus doing miraculous things in your lives, where maybe you were this way at one point, and down the road you're another way because of the work of God in your life. Or you've prayed for people in your life, and now all of a sudden there's things happening, and you're like, what? I never thought. I was talking with a friend of mine yesterday, and uh, their kids have some learning disabilities, and 
And they said, you know, 10 years ago, I would have never thought they would have graduated high school. You know, they graduated high school this year and now are going on to Cairn University. There you go. I'm just giving a shout out, Mike. But if you are willing to partner with the work of God, he will be the one to bring transformation into those people's lives. So let's, let's look at the rest of this text. In verse 25, what happened to the man? Jesus says, get up, take your mat, go home. 25 says, immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. The man didn't say, hold on a second, let me check my calendar. Immediately he got up. And he responded with faith. Isn't that awesome? The very thing that he laid on was the very thing he was going home with in his hands. That is a work of God. And the people around who were, I mean, this whole house was filled, and they were in awe. They were impacted by the one act. And the same power that raised that man off the mat is the same power that raised Christ from the dead to give us new life. And so in our notes, one act of faith results in praising God. One act of faith results in praising God. There may be people who don't understand why you believe what you believe or do what you do, but there may be that one person who says, unbelievable, now I get what you have been talking about. Again, I can't guarantee everything's going to be a win. But what I'm saying is, wouldn't you rather participate in the work of God than just watch every, everyone else do what God has called you and I to do. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 16, he said, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Here's what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to glow. He wants us to be people who illuminate. As a follower of Christ, you and I have the privilege of bringing people to Jesus and watch him work. That's it. No pressure. We put the pressure on ourselves, don't we? We put a lot of undue pressure on ourselves. I had to learn that over the years. I don't know everything. I don't have the Bible figured out forward and backwards. I don't know all the fancy theological terms. And Jesus kept reminding me, just bring him to me. You do it naturally, and I'll do the rest. Because when you begin to glow, people will begin to see something that you don't because they're watching. Our faith does affect others.